Well, good morning, church. It is my distinct privilege to be able to share the word with you all today. Um, I am really just amazed by God and uh, just what he has done and what he's doing in the life of the church and that he would allow me uh, to be a part of this work is really uh, brings unspeakable joy. Um, so let's go ahead and get to the sermon. Turn to Romans chapter 3, verse 27, and we're going to read all the way down to chapter 4, verse 12. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version, um, but if you have another version, I'm sure it reads similarly. Starting at verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, your grace is truly greater than all of our sin. You have paid it all. You are over all. Lord, help us today to hear your word. Help us so that any distractions we have, um, any barriers, any blindness that we have, Lord, by your grace, by your Holy Spirit, remove them. Lord, have your word to do your great work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Why does justification by faith matter? As a refresher, Pastor Adam explained last week that justification by faith is God declaring us righteous based on faith in Jesus. Now, justification means that God considers us perfectly righteous. Paul just spent much of the first three chapters of Romans showing that we're all doomed. We have no hope of justifying ourselves based on conformity to God's holy standard. Whether we are banking on religious deeds or just good deeds, we fall short of the glory of God. If we're honest, we don't even meet our own standard. Whatever we think goodness is, whatever standard we try to place on someone else, if we're honest, we're hypocrites. We don't even meet our own standard. God's plan of salvation then cannot come through keeping the law, but it comes through faith in Christ. Up to this point, even though Paul went to great lengths to show that both Jews and Gentiles are condemned before God, he's only hinted at salvation being equally available to both Jews and Gentiles since his introduction in Romans chapter 1. Now we're in chapters 3 and 4 in Romans, and Paul uses a prominent Old Testament figure to further explain justification by faith and its implications. If there was one overarching uh, thing I want you to take away uh, from this message, it's that God justifies both Jews and Gentiles by faith, so there is no reason to boast. So looking in verses 27 uh, through 31, we're talking about the implications of justification by faith. Justification by faith excludes boasting. We've seen this a few times in the opening chapters of Romans where Paul introduces a topic, then he'll follow up with a series of potential objections largely from the Jewish perspective. Um, so we see it in verse 21. Then what becomes of our boasting? Why is this even a question? What becomes of our boasting? You would think that Paul's arguments from chapters 1 to 3 is so tight, so logical, that rebuttals would be minimal. How do you argue against this? Or maybe you would get some doxology, you would get some great praise, you would get some expression of, wow, look how great God is. But instead, he brings up a hypothetical question about the place of boasting. Well, thankfully, we don't have to wait long for an answer. Paul quickly answers, where is boasting? It is excluded. There is no room for boasting. If we are declared righteous through faith alone, boasting is excluded. Justification by faith and boasting are simply incompatible. Why does this even matter? Who cares about this? Who cares who gets credit for what? It should just be a team effort, and there's no I in team, right? Whoever does a little bit, hey, we all win in the end, right? Well, God cares about boasting. God cares about who gets credit. God is passionate about his glory, and he will not give it to another. The boastful and proud person 
brashly exaggerates their own importance and accomplishments. They minimize the need for God or for his forgiveness and grace. God hates pride. Church, we do not want to be proud people. We do not want to be something and exemplify something that God hates. James 4 and 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Church, we want to cultivate humility, knowing that God's grace is there. God's grace is with the humble. So God is so kind to set up salvation in such a way to help us fight pride by completely excluding any grounds for boasting. In verses 29 through 30, we see that both Jews and Gentiles are justified by faith. Verse 29 asks, or is God the God of the Jews only? Now, why does this question follow that statement about justification by faith? Well, only the Jews had the law. So if God saves through the law, then effectively he is the God of the Jews only. You must be a Jew to be saved if salvation is through the law. But Paul responds in verse 29 that he is also the God of the Gentiles. This is major. The Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God and they were entrusted with some very precious promises. Now some of the Jews may have missed the mark. They may have missed that Israel was meant to be the conduit through whom the whole world would be blessed. In God's initial call to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, God told him that he was going to make him a great nation and that in him all the families of the earth will be blessed. So from the very beginning, God's plan was not only for Israel, but was to bless the whole world through Israel. Continuing on in verse 30, we see that thought continued by Paul emphasizing the unity of God. Unlike the Gentile nations who had multiple God, the Jews knew that God was one. There is no other God, there's only one. And he is not simply a regional power like the idols of various nations. It's not like, you know, Syria has their own God or India has their own gods, no, no, no. This God is the creator of the entire universe and every single human being bears his image. We saw in Romans chapter one that God has revealed enough about himself through his creation that people unmistakably know that he is powerful, wise, and has a way that we should live. That revelation is sufficient so that even those who have never seen the Bible are without excuse and are rightly condemned for rejecting what God has made clear to them. In chapter two, Paul referenced God's lack of partiality and that Jews also are condemned since they all break God's law. As the God of everyone, no one is outside of his jurisdiction. All are condemned, all are in need of justification. And praise be to God, the God of all plans to justify both Jews and Gentiles through faith. Now in verse 31, we see him mentioning the law again. 
it would be reasonable to think that just as justification by faith leaves no room for boasting, it also leaves no room for the law. Like the law at this point um, is just simply abolished. And now we have a completely new way to be made right with God. The law is gone. The law is old school. There's something bigger and better that's just completely replaced it. But that's not the case. Justification by faith is not at odds with the law. Rather, it upholds the law. Referencing Romans 3.20 again, we see that the law was never meant to make a person righteous before God. So what role does the law play? Well, Jesus perfectly kept the law, and no one else ever has. Jesus perfectly loved God and his neighbor. He perfectly responded to critics who literally were trying to kill him. We ought to marvel at what Christ accomplished. The law also shows us how far we missed the mark. It shows us our glaring imperfections. We have not loved God or our neighbors as we ought to. We have disobeyed God. We have followed our own way. We were deserving of God's righteous wrath. We had no works to offer that could have made us right with God. But thankfully, Christ has exchanged his life for ours on the cross. He took God's wrath that we deserved, and by faith, we receive his righteousness as a gift. A couple applications. First, abandon any self-reliance in salvation. If you are not a Christian here today, and you're thinking that somehow you've probably done enough to make yourself right before God, that you could go to God and say, well, let me in, right? You've been waiting for me. I've done it. Here's my report card. You've got to let me in. You are in great danger. You cannot earn God's approval. Also, embrace God's holy standard. Fear him. Don't believe the hype that God was different in the Old Testament than the New Testament. The same God that was opening the earth and killing people in the Old Testament for disobeying him is the same God in the New Testament that crushed his son on the cross. God does not allow any sin to slide. So glory in the work that Jesus did on our behalf. Jesus didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. Also, justification by faith means that we have no reason to feel smug or superior. So brothers and sisters, engage each other as fellow sinners, as someone who deserved punishment, but instead received the gift of righteousness. So this is a great encouragement to us. So maybe, um, maybe you come from a great Christian heritage. You know, your great-great-grandfather was a pastor. Your father was a pastor. Your grandfather was a pastor. Like everyone was pastors. Most of your family is made up of Christians. That's glorious what God has done. But something could sneak in where because of that you feel a bit of superiority. Maybe you've got all the badges from Awana, right? Maybe you've 
memorized all the verses or something. All the verses, I don't know. But you may think that, you know what? I should puff out my chest just a little bit more than my neighbor sitting next to me. That's wrong. There is no place for boasting because we all have sinned and we all have needed God's grace. It's also a great encouragement if you're newer to the faith. Maybe you don't come from a great Christian heritage. Maybe you're the only one or one of a very few in your family who are Christians. Well, guess what? You were equally um, saved by grace and you are in equal standing with all of your fellow Christians. So no one has a leg up, no one has a reason to boast. We all were equally in need of his salvation and he equally saved us through faith in Christ. Now in chapter 4, Paul turns his attention to a prominent figure in the Old Testament to give an example of justification by faith. So we see in chapter 4, verse 1, what was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? Abraham, the great patriarch, is the ancestor of all Jewish people. But Paul gives a hint here of something more by saying, according to the flesh. I mean, he could have just said, our ancestor. But he says, according to the flesh. We'll, we'll get more to that in a, a bit later. But how was Abraham, the great father of the Jews, the one God made this great covenant with, how was he justified? If he was justified by works, he would have something to boast about. And Abraham had some impressive works. Let's just look at a laundry list of some of the things he did um, by the time we get to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. One, he left his whole family and went to a foreign land just because God told him to. He wasn't raised in the church or raised knowing about God. God just calls him out one day and he goes, leaves everything, leaves his family, goes someplace different. He did what God said. He took care of his nephew. I don't know if you have any uh, family members who need help from time to time. He took his nephew in. He took care of him. This is family that he didn't have to take care of, but he did. He interceded several times on behalf of a horrible city, Sodom and Gomorrah. He actually interceded for them, pleading with God that he would not destroy them. He did this when they didn't ask him to. I mean, this guy is pretty good, right? I mean, he is doing these things. Then when his nephew and he got to this great place of where they were going to go, he let his nephew decide, which land do you want? Whichever one you pick, you have it. Even though Abraham brought the nephew with him, he said, you get whatever you want. He's generous. Abraham also fought a battle with some kings and he let everyone else get the spoils. He's not greedy. He's not trying to amass this great fortune for himself. He's generous. But it doesn't say that Abraham was justified because of any of those things. Abraham has nothing to boast about before God because he wasn't justified by works. Verse 3 quotes Genesis 15 and 6. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. 
Let's turn to Genesis 15 and we'll read the first six verses, one through six. So starting at verse 1 of Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and each member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So God declared Abraham righteous, not because he left his homeland, because he took care of his family or interceded on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. God declared him righteous because Abraham believed God. It almost seems like a throwaway line in Genesis. It's not talked about a whole, whole lot. There isn't a lot of time just spent thinking on that and expounding on that. Maybe it was something that was seemingly unimportant. It's such a subtle sentence. But thankfully, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul sees this. He sees that Abraham didn't earn his way into heaven. God counted Abraham's faith as righteousness. So going back to Romans chapter 4, uh, looking at these first few verses, we see them talking about wages and gifts. It's a, a lengthy few verses talking about this. So at my job, we have annual performance evaluations. Each year we write self-assessments and we submit it to our supervisors for a rating. So I've heard from supervisors that they really think this is a thankless job. And here's why. So if they, get, if they give an employee a good rating, the employee says, well, I earned it, of course. I did everything necessary to get this good rating. So that's what you were supposed to do. Good day to you, sir. On the other hand, if someone gets a bad rating, then the supervisor was diminishing their works. The supervisor overlooked something. The supervisor clearly was out to get that person. So no matter what, there's no thanks. There's no, you know what? You're absolutely right. Thank you so much for giving me this great performance evaluation when I didn't deserve it. No. All employees are saying, give me what I earned. Give me what I deserve. Even if they're probably uh, exaggerating what they think they deserve, it still is beside the point. They want what they deserve, what they've earned. The question is, is that how you think about your relationship with God? On Judgment Day, do you think you'll stand before God rattling off a highlight reel of your good deeds? Salvation doesn't work that way. 
Salvation is not based in response to our works. It's not what we deserved. It is a gift. It is a precious and glorious gift. And gifts are different. If a child is given a very expensive gift from their parents, no one assumes that this child must really be something. You have the best child of all time, one of the greatest children ever in the Western Hemisphere. That's not what people think, though you may have that kind of child, which is great, I know I do. Um, but that's not what people think. Instead, they think, wow, this parent is extravagant. There's really no reason. What could this little child do to earn such an extravagant gift? I mean, these parents must be very wealthy or foolish or something. Probably foolish. Um, but they're so generous. They're probably spoiling that child. By justifying sinners by faith, God has lavished the most expensive gift upon the least deserving recipients ever. It shows his inexhaustible resources, his amazing love and unfathomable grace. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10 makes this very point clear. We were dead in our sins, following after the devil, and children of wrath. But God was rich in mercy, loved us with great love, saved us by grace, and displayed the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus. Then in verses 8 through 10 of Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so what? So that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we should walk in them. Once again, we see in this passage in Ephesians that boasting is excluded since salvation is a gift. Continuing on in Romans 12, I mean in Romans 4, verses 6 through 8, we see also that David testified about justification apart from works. Here Paul quotes Psalm 32, 1 through 2. It's a psalm written by King David. Here we have evidence that a person is blessed if God forgives, covers them, and does not count their lawless deeds. Here we have blessing and forgiveness, not because of their good works, not because of their law keeping, but in spite of their law breaking. David is remarking on the blessedness of someone who God justified. So church, marvel at forgiveness. Are you having a bad day, a bad week, a bad year? Has it been a hard season? Do you question if God looks favorably upon you? Well, meditating on the blessing of justification by faith will change how you look at your situation. It is an incalculable blessing that God has bestowed upon us that we should be given the righteousness of his son when we were wicked rebels. He did not give us what we deserved. Works were involved they just weren't our works. He gave us what Christ deserved. What an amazing gift. 
In verses 9 through 12 of Romans 4, we also see that Abraham was justified apart from circumcision. In verse 9, Paul picks up on the term blessing that was used a little bit earlier from Psalm 32. Is this blessing of forgiveness apart from works only for the circumcised? We see in verses 10 and 11 that Abraham was declared righteous before he was circumcised, so the blessing of forgiveness is available to uncircumcised people. Circumcision was a sign in verse 11. It was an outward sign of the justification he received by faith before he was circumcised. Circumcision didn't make Abraham justified. He already was justified because of his belief in God. The second sentence of verse 11 starts by saying, God's purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. This was God's plan. He had a purpose behind even when he declared Abraham righteous. Now, if we aren't careful, we may take God's forgiveness for granted. I mean, we are Americans after all. We were founded as a Christian nation. But forgiveness, and I, I use that in quotation marks, Christian nation. But forgiveness was not get a given for us. We are an overwhelmingly Gentile nation. The same is true for our church. We're overwhelmingly non-Jewish. Ephesians 2 verse 12 says that us Gentiles were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So for us to hear that God has made salvation possible, not only for the Jews, but for the Gentiles also, is amazing news. Be amazed that God's plan to save us, whether Jew or Gentile, didn't come about haphazardly. He planned through Abraham to bless the world. Where you come from and who raised you has such a huge impact on our lives. Being born into poverty or wealth, even in a land of opportunity like America, usually means you stay in that group. If you were born wealthy, you tend to stay wealthy. If you were born poor, you tend to stay poor. Be amazed then that your family heritage didn't stop God from saving you. Pay close attention to what it says in verse 12. Abraham was not meant only to be an example for Gentiles, but also to Jews. God has not forgotten about the Jews. Countless Gentiles are being saved by faith in Christ, and Jews are also coming to Christ. Uh, my wife Sarita actually came to faith in Christ through the ministry of a Messianic synagogue near Detroit. The lead rabbi there married us. It was a beautiful service that really magnified the gospel. The gospel is just so clear and he can just connect it so well with the Old Testament. Some, sometimes we can kind of think that the New Testament just kind of plopped out of nowhere. But no, you really need the Old Testament well to understand where God has taken us and how God has saved us. That congregation was a powerful reminder that God not only could save Jews, but that he was saving Jews. In our own congregation, 
Mike Adams and Mrs. Adams are other examples. There may be more as well. Jewish Christians show that they are true descendants of Abraham by placing their faith in Christ and receiving the gift of righteousness. Since we all are saved by God in the same way and there is no reason to boast, we can all be united in a family regardless of our background. This would have been very important in a Roman church which was made up of many Jewish and Gentile believers, but it's no less relevant for us today. Regardless of where you come from, we can be united in Christ because of what he has done. Now, thinking about Abraham, I can't help but think of that old Sunday school favorite, Father Abraham. Now, in case you aren't familiar with that song, the lyrics of the song go something like this. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons have Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, right? Right. Right. So growing up, we used to sing this song all the time. I mean, it was great. It was a great way to get out some energy, to sing, to move. I mean, they're spinning, they're sitting down, they're getting up. I mean, it is really a fantastic song. Uh, maybe your kid isn't going to bed. Just keep doing that song on repeat. Eventually, they'll wear down. They'll take a nap. But I didn't understand the significance of that song as a child. That song captured the message of these last few verses well. Now, we could rightly, as a group of black kids in Detroit, sing about being children of Abraham. And the same is true for us today and anyone else who puts their faith in Jesus. You don't need religious pedigree. If you believe God, trust that Christ was righteous for you and took God's wrath for your sin. If you do that, you inherit pedigree. Abandon all hope of working your way to salvation, working your way to heaven, or boasting about what you've done for God. Instead, humbly accept God's gift of righteousness. Let the one who boasts, boast in God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are blown away by your wisdom. I mean, you just set things up so perfectly. Nothing is at odds with each other. Instead, everything magnifies and glorifies you in the work of your son. Lord, help us today. Lord, if there are any who don't trust in Christ, Lord, open their eyes. Help this word stick to them. Have it just follow them around until they cannot shake it. They cannot shake the fact that they need righteousness that is not their own. Lord, also help us as a church so that we embrace what Christ has done and that we exemplify humility and not pride. Help us to encourage one another in Christ and to magnify what Christ has done on our behalf. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.